Father, these are exciting times for us as we see your past grace and how merciful you've been to us these past many years and how gracious it seems to us that you plan to be to us again when we are unworthy of it. And so we praise you and we worship you and we give you thanks because you are good. You are good to sinful people like us. And so, Father, we want to start this service by, um, or this preaching time by praising you for your past grace and for all of the future graces that we know nothing of yet. And Lord, we do have a plan, a fallible, dependent plan, fallible because it's from us, dependent because we know it will all come from you. Man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless, as you have in the past, so in the future, multiply our fruitfulness and effectiveness at making disciples who will proclaim the excellencies of Christ with us to all peoples. Oh, Father, be glorified now, as I hope we will inspire joy and work and fellowship and sacrifice and all the things that will be necessary to see these plans brought to fruition. We give you praise and thanksgiving for it all now. In the name of our Savior, Jesus, amen. It occurred to me a minute ago when I was sitting uh, with my wife there in the service, she asked me for a pen, and I gave her this one. And this one came to me uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's kind of a throwaway pen, but it's by a pen company. And uh, periodically, they'll send us a pen that will have our name on it. And it looks pretty sweet, and it, and it writes fairly well. But the thing that captured my attention was at the end, it has a little laurel thing, and it says 65. And I thought, 65, what is that? And then I realized they knew something, or their computer knows something that I had forgotten. Calvary Bible Church this year has been in existence for 65 years. And a pen company reminded me of that <laughs> this week. So <laughs> you just never know the vehicle that God is going to use to show us his kindness and grace. 65 years. Howard Hendricks was the first pastor here, followed by Dr. Elliott, who was here for 32 years, followed by Chris Creech, followed by one of my dear friends, Jim Pittman, with whom I had the privilege of working for almost five years, and then I've been here for another 15. And I know that after me will come someone that the Lord will raise up to faithfully lead this church. Not now, not now, let's not have any rumors. I plan on being here for a good long time. But what I'm trying to convey to you is God has a purpose for this church. He's always had a purpose for this church. Even before any of us were here, God was doing something in this church, and he has plans for our future that are good and wonderful, and, and we don't fully know what that, uh, that is. We do know that he expects us to plan, and we always refer to it as our fallible dependent plan because none of us are sovereign. We do our best to take our ideas and filter them through Scripture and try to derive from Scripture what God wants us to do and then come up with the best plan possible. And that's what we've done again. And I usually have this talk in September, and I did that in September, but we're so close to something really big here that the elders thought it wise for me to talk to you about these things again and to put a little flesh on the bones, so to speak. So this morning, I find it's my happy responsibility 
to talk with you about the vision of Calvary Bible Church for the coming ministry year. If you're new here, we are all about expository preaching. We had a, a visitor recently, I, I heard second-handed, who said, look, I've been here for a month. We came because of expository preaching. I haven't heard an expository message yet. And that's because we've been focused on preaching about the scriptures, just to relay that foundation for us once again. And so just, just so you know, next week, sufficiency of scripture. The following week, we're back in the Gospel of John, and all God's people said. And I'm excited about that. I can't wait. But this morning, uh, I, I want to talk about the elders' vision for Calvary Bible Church for the next year and beyond. This is going to be a monumental year for us for a number of reasons. As you know, we intend to plant a church in Mansfield in June. This is not something we suddenly came up with. If you're new around here, you may not know that. But this is something we've been working on for almost three and a half years. We've been very careful, very circumspect about this because we didn't want to make some of the youthful mistakes that we have made in the past. And God has been so gracious to us to lead. But really, planning a new church is, is simply the natural consequence of our commitment to making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so part of my job here this morning is to help us get a firm grasp on why church planting should be part of that plan. Why should it be a part of our future vision for ministry? And I think maybe the best way to discuss that is to kind of take us back to our, our fundamental, foundational New Testament roots and look at some teaching, specifically from Jesus, that will remind us of why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing until Jesus returns. Now, for a number of years, we have rehearsed periodically the stated purpose of Calvary Bible Church. And if you have a bulletin, it's, I think it's on the back side, and we're going to quote it together here. The purpose of Calvary Bible Church, as, as we like to say it, is this. Let's say it together. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things to the glory of God in the joy of all peoples. That's why we're here. That's why when you got saved, you didn't get raptured up into heaven. God has a purpose for you to be here and a purpose for his church. And for a number of years, we've been re rehearsing this. And, and uh, it may be evident to you, if you know the word of God, where this mission statement comes from. And actually, it's a compilation of several scriptures. But the, the key text here is 1 Peter 2.9, which reads, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And we just think that's a beautiful, powerful, biblical way to say why we are here. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is why God left us here. We exist to proclaim to all the people in every age, in all circumstances, that Jesus Christ is worthy of our exclusive faith and our exclusive hope, both for now and for the age to come. That is our purpose. But this morning, I'm really here to talk to you about our mission. But you can't have mission without a clearly defined purpose. And from a clearly defined purpose comes biblical mission. 
And so I want to talk to you about mission. Our purpose tells us why we're here. Our mission tells us how to accomplish the reason that we're here. And in order to do that, what I want to do now is to kind of take you into several um, renditions, as it were, of the Great Commission. There, there's actually a number of different times in the New Testament where the Great Commission is stated or restated, stated in different ways, and we're not going to hit all of them. But if you have your Bible, and you should, this is a Bible church, you should have your Bible, bring your Bible and open it when we're looking at passages. So Matthew 28, and those of you who are familiar with the Great Commission are familiar with this. Matthew 8, verses 16 through 20, follow along with me now as I read. Matthew 28, verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them and said, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As a side note, it's, it's just interests me to, uh, to note that whether it's Mount Sinai or the Sermon on the Mount or the Mount of Transfiguration or the Mount of Olives, it just seems like God likes to declare the really, really foundational important things from a mountain. Um, I love going to mountains, but God has never <laughs> spoken to me there. But here, again and again and again, we have this. And here we have Jesus on the mountain giving what we have traditionally called the Great Commission. But the first observation I need to make here about this Great Commission passage is that there are actually two parts to it. There is indeed a, a great imperative. But before we can look at the imperative, we need to look at the great indicative. Now, those of you who know something of English grammar, then you know the difference between an indicative and, a, and an imperative, perhaps better than I do. And so let me just define them for you. A dicative is what is. It's what is true. It is what is now. It is indicative. It indicates something is either true or happening now. That is the indicative. And the imperative is a command. If you see the word imperative, somebody's given a command. Do this. Don't do that. So we have an indicative and we have an imperative. And what we tend to focus on is the imperative. Go into all the world, et cetera, et cetera. And we skip over the indicative, but we can't even have an imperative without this indicative. It doesn't work. And I'm not talking grammatically. I'm talking in reality, spiritually. We don't get to do the imperative without the indicative. So what is the indicative? Here's the indicative. Jesus says, verse 18, All authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. And then there's another part to it at the end, verse 20. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What has been given to me is authority over all heaven and earth. It is mine. I am king. I am ruler. I am the only sovereign God over all things. And I am with you. Indicative, indicative. And sandwiched into the middle of that comes the imperative. And this is really important for us to know, because this is really profound. It's a really profound 
and empowering declaration. Jesus' words hearken back to the prophet Daniel when in his vision in Daniel chapter 7, he saw one like a son of man, that's the son of God, God the son, who came up to the ancient of days, that's God the father, and was presented before him. And to him, that is God the son, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all the peoples and nations and men of every language that they may serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Jesus is raised from the dead. He's about to ascend back, to ascend back into heaven. And God has given him the dominion that he promised. And now, imagine yourself a disciple. You're at the mountain, the designated mountain, where Jesus says, meet me there after the resurrection. And they did. And here he is, the one who is the sovereign king of all things, who rules over every molecule, every atom, every particle in space and on earth, every man, every king, every nation, Every tribe, every tongue, he rules it all, and he's standing in front of them. And he's telling them these things. And so before giving them the great imperative, the great commission, he reminds them of the great indicative. Namely, that he alone possesses all authority to accomplish all his holy will in all the world even to the end of the age. That's the indicative. And, and you know what that says? I'm about to give you an extraordinary command that's far too big for you. But you will do it because I am Lord. And it's all mine. And I will do it through you. Kevin DeYoung observes, there can only be a mission in because there is first a glorious indicative. God does not send out his church to conquer. We go because he has already conquered. We go because he reigns. And because he raised, reigns, we are fully prepared for the imperative. What does Jesus the king command his followers to do? Look at verse 19. Go therefore, therefore, pointing back to the indicative, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, I realize that most of the time when this text is preached, it's either preparing for a missions conference or during a missions conference or sending off a missionary or something. And the focus of the sermon is usually on one word, and that word is what? Go. Now, when you're studying the Bible and you're looking at a particular passage, one of the things that we do is we always start with the verbs. We want to find the verbs. And if, and if we can find an imperative, then that's, that's really, really significant. So our radar's up for those kinds of things. But in the English version, at least in the NAS and the King James and some other versions, uh, the, way it's, the way it's laid out here is it, it appears that the imperative is go. That's not the way it is in the Greek. 
Now, every Greek scholar agrees with this because it's just grammar in the Greek. The, uh, the imperative is not go. Rather, the imperative in the original language is what? Make disciples. That's the command. That's the imperative. Make disciples. The emphasis is not on going. In fact, the participle going is probably better translated when you go or as you go. Now imperative, make disciples. As Colin Marshall observes, the commission is not fundamentally about missions out there somewhere else in another country. It's a commission that makes disciple-making the normal agenda and priority of every local church and every Christian. We are called, fundamentally, to make disciples. That's how, primarily, that's how we proclaim the excellencies of Christ. It's while we are going and proclaiming the excellencies of Christ that people come to know him as Savior. They become his disciple. And then we disciple them or help them with their sanctification to bring them into Christ-likeness or full maturity in Christ. And so the Great Commission is about making disciples. The remaining participles here, which, which often, especially here, have the force of imperatives, flesh out what is entailed in disciple-making. So what do, what do we do as we're disciple-making? Here's what we do. We go, we baptize, and we teach them to obey everything that God in Christ has commanded us. We teach them to obey the word of God. That's what discipling is. That's what disciple-making is. Now, let's turn to another great commission passage, and this is in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24. Is it warm in here? Are you sleepy? Luke chapter 24. There's a couple amens. I saw those. Verses 44 through 49. Follow along with me. This is Jesus speaking again. And, and by the way, we could look at Mark chapter 16, and really there's a couple other places in the Gospel of Mark that give us this. I just don't want to spend time on all of these passages, but Luke 24, 40 through, 44 through 49. And now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, this, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so once again, we have Jesus giving the great imperative to take the message. He's sending them out on a mission, and the ground of the mission, just like in the other Great Commission, the ground of it is sovereign authority, except while it's true that in the Matthew passage, the authority was in the person of Jesus Christ as king, here the authority invested in the apostles is the word of God, the scriptures. 
And the correlation here throughout the New Testament is uncanny, inseparable. The authority of Jesus Christ, the authority of the Scriptures, they always go together. When Jesus was appealing to authority when he was here, it was always the authority of the Scriptures. And so, their message is, was this. Take this message. The message was, Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture. Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness, etc., etc. He's saying, go to the nations and witness to them. Now, that doesn't mean hand out tracts. Nothing wrong with handing out tracts. But what he's saying here is, you tell people what you've seen and what you've heard and what you know to be true, namely... That as the prophets foretold in the Old Testament, so there has been fulfillment in one man, the man Jesus Christ, who did exactly what the Old Testament prophets said he would do and died and rose again. And so the disciples were to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all the nations. And the promise of the Father, did you hear that when I read it? Behold, Jesus says, I am sending forth the promise of the Father. What is that? What is the promise of the Father? That sounds vague. It's not. In fact, if you read the whole verse, it becomes very plain. He says, Behold, I am sending forth the promise of the Father upon you. You know what he's referring to? The promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. The Father promised to give his people the Holy Spirit. And to especially empower the apostles. And so the promise of the Father would come and empower them for this work, this imperative. To empower them to accomplish God's goal. Namely, to make disciples of Jesus Christ all over the world. And let's look at one more. Acts chapter 1. Just keep on flipping. Skip over John. Uh, we could look. There's some, uh, there's some good pithy statements in John that we could look at, but we don't have time. Acts chapter 1, this is the last one I'd like to look at. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is Luke again. Luke wrote the book of Acts, he wrote the book of Luke. At, at one point, they were probably one book um, with two parts. In any case, that's for another day. Acts 1, 8, here's what we see. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Now watch both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and even to the uttermost parts or the remotest parts of the earth. And once again, we see it here. The theme is spirit-empowered witness about the person and work of Jesus. And when we read the rest of the book of Acts, we discover that the mission was overwhelmingly focused on proclaiming this truth, the word of God, that Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, uh, Stephen told the Jews, and Peter told them again in Acts chapter 2. Jesus Christ, this Christ whom you crucified, has been raised again as proof that he was exactly what the, promise, uh, what the prophets foretold. You go under the power of the Holy Spirit and you proclaim the gospel. Beloved, it's, it's so, right now, this this kind of survey through the Great Commission passages and, and others besides these, as I mentioned, is so critical because the church is getting so off and they're going back into Genesis and other places in the Old Testament to find the Great Commission 
in order to support their view that what God has really called us to do is simply to feed the hungry, and, and we should be doing that, and to, and to clothe the poor, etc., and to be involved in social uh, media, make that the emphasis of our ministry, and beloved, that's not biblical. Yes, we serve people as we go, but the focus of our going is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to make disciples. Darrell Bach puts it this way, the commission, Acts 1.8, describes the church's key assignment of what we are to do until the Lord returns. The priority of the church until Jesus returns, a mission which the community must never lose sight of, is to witness to the ends of the earth that Jesus is the Christ. The church exists, Bach writes, in major part to extend the apostolic witness of Jesus everywhere. And I agree with that, and here's what he's saying. The church today exists to take what the apostles started and just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Doing it different time, different culture, different people. But keep doing that. Let the great Im indicative inspire you to, to fulfill the great imperative. This is what we see throughout the book of Acts. It's what the, the apostles and those closest to them did. Followers of Christ were committed to witnessing to the person and work of Jesus Christ in fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. Disciples were made and baptized and taught to obey the scriptures as the apostles and others moved from place to place as they were going. And they established churches as they went. It all begins in Jerusalem, just like Jesus said. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And because it was the Holy Spirit doing the work, they did exactly what Jesus said they would do. They started in Jerusalem, and then in Samaria, and then they went to the other most parts of the earth. This is exactly what we see in the book of Acts. It began in Jerusalem. And then Philip is the first one to step out. Philip takes the gospel to the many villages of Samaria, and the people believe. And then we find him with the Ethiopian eunuch. And he believes, and presumably takes the gospel to Ethiopia. And then he is miraculously taken out of the water and he finds himself suddenly in Caesarea. What's he doing there? Well, the Spirit took him there to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And then Paul and Barnabas come on the scene and proclaim the word of God about Jesus in Cyprus and, and in Antioch in Pisidia and Iconium and in Lystra. Their mission, however, was not just evangelism. It was discipleship, deep discipleship, sometimes long-term discipleship and from place to place. And Paul preaches, you know, he gets arrested and he preaches in chains before the Jewish council and then before Felix and then Festus and King Agrippa and his wife Bernice and then it was off to Crete and Malta and finally Rome and you put all this together and you read the book of Acts and you see him going around once and going around twice and the second time. I mean, they're planting churches as they go. They're establishing a plurality of elder, elders in every, in every place. And they're doing exactly what the Lord wanted them to do. The point of all of this, beloved, is to say that making disciples and planting churches is not just a good idea that the elders came up with Five years ago, or ten years ago, or a hundred years ago. 
Some of our elders are almost, no, I won't say that. <laughs> um, this is why the church is here. When we talk about planting a church, this isn't just something that's fun and chic. Believe me, it's a big headache. It's hard to do. And there are dangers in doing it, to be sure. And we know that because the first time we tried this, it, uh, it didn't go well. We did it too fast. And we did it without the counsel that we needed. And we made many mistakes. And praise God, that was a school of hard knocks for us. And that was a six-month plan. This time it was a three-and-a-half-month, three-and-a-half-year three plan. And now you know why. We've been very careful with this, making sure there's enough time for God to shake this thing and to establish the leaders that he wants in the way that he wants and to train these guys for what lies ahead in the future. And I think they're ready, fallibly, dependently ready. Now, all of that was about understanding the Great Commission, kind of laying the foundation for why we're doing what we're doing. Now, let's get real practical. How, then, will Calvary Bible Church fulfill this mission this year and beyond? I'll be talking about some things that are coming that go beyond this year. And to start with, let me just say, um, these are not in order of importance, and they're not in order of chronology. They just seem like to have some logical flow in my mind, and, um, and maybe that will confuse you, but here we go. Here are the commitments. Here are the things we're committed to. We are committed, number one, or A, to planting churches. We made the decision a number of years ago, uh, five years ago, as we were wrestling with the growth of Calvary Bible Church, and what do we do? We only have, you know, we have about 100, what, what was that, 175 seats, something like that. Maybe more than that. And uh, closer to 200 seats. And we're a small church, and we have plenty of room, lots of wiggle room. And we began to grow, and it grew and grew. And we, we had to remodel this whole area to get 40 or 50 more chairs in. And then we were using the, the overflow down the hall, and we're thinking, oh, no, what do we do? We didn't expect this growth. We just didn't think people would want to be a part of a Reformed church. And, and here we are. I mean, all we do is preach the Bible, and we sing great music, and we fellowship. And, I mean, <laughs> in this culture, I mean, how many people want that? And yet the, the Lord grew his church. And, and, and then we had some decisions to make. What are we going to do? Or, or are we going to, uh, I've talked about this before, but are, are we going to go out outside the loop and buy some land and build something big and grow out there? Or, and we just decided that that's not what God wants. The Holy Spirit, by his sovereign um, mercy and providence and wisdom, led us to conclude, no, this is where God wants us. We're real close to downtown. We love being here. This is our home. It always has been. We don't want to move. We don't have the funds to move. And we don't think the Lord will want us to move. And so let's stay here. But if we stay here, we're limited in space. We, we don't have much room. We had enough to build a new building. And praise the Lord, that's done. And now what? Rather than adding service upon service upon service, and multiplying all of that and getting really complex and really big so that it becomes impossible to shepherd this church, we decided God would be pleased rather to train men and plant churches. Get to a certain size if God gives us the leadership and the willingness of the people 
Take some of them and throw them out. You know, give them a church and help them establish it, nurture it until it sinks its roots and becomes strong. And we are at that point. We're at that point. If you look in the bulletin, you'll see there in the middle the logo for our new church plant. And it will be called Living Hope Bible Church. And where is it going to be? We don't know yet. It'll be in Mansfield, and we're still looking for a place that we can lease for that. Pastor of this church will be Brent Osterberg, and uh, the elder going with him will be Les Trammell, assuming, which I do, that, that you all will um, affirm him as the elder of that church to work with Brent. And then, of course, they will be tied in very closely with our elder board, at least here at the beginning, uh, as kind of the third elder. The third elder is kind of us, and primarily me, probably, um, to work with them if they need help just with wisdom issues and, and getting the church firmly planted and all of that stuff. And so Ryan Allen, who led worship for us this morning, and I think did a wonderful job, don't you? He's going to be their worship leader. Our latest count is that 48 people, including children, will be a part of Living Hope Bible Church. And we're excited about that because that gives them a pretty strong foundation. 48 people. Now, granted, it's going to be hard to lose those people. It's going to be real hard to lose those people. They've been here for a long time. But this is what they believe God wants them to do. And, and they're not doing it just because they want to do it. This is something the elders have been praying about for years. And now is the time. Launch date, June 7th, 2015. And by the way, in order to prepare for this or in order to send them off, we want to kind of do it with a bang. So you might want to put this on your calendar, May 31st. We're going to be having a special prayer and pray service during Sunday school. We're going to be doing things here during the worship service. This is that weekend, the May 31st is the week after Memorial Day, right? We normally have a Memorial Day picnic on that week. We're going to postpone it a week, so we do it on the last day that we are officially together. Now, unofficially, we're going to be seeing a lot of them. Their kids are going to be here and, and all that stuff. But nevertheless, that'll be the official day, uh, the last day that they are here. And uh, so would you be in prayer with us for that? There's much to be done, a lot of labor just with, with doing this properly and getting every T crossed and every I dotted is an enormous work. And I just praise God that he has brought here gifted men to help with this. Now... That's planting churches. And here, here's what we hope to do in the future. We've been, we've been saying all along, Lord, if this is what you want now, is that an indication of what you want in the future? Let me come back to that in just a minute. Priority number one, or, or commitment number one, is to plant churches. Number two, and again, these are not in order of importance, but number two is we're committed to making disciples. Because that's what the commission is all about. That's what the great imperative is all about. And um, we have always wanted to be a disciple-making church. And we have worked hard for many years to become a disciple-making church. And we're doing better at it now than I think we've ever done. By God's grace, for his glory, I think we're doing a better job now at making disciples than we ever have before. And yet, there is plenty of room for us to grow in this area. And one of the things that we've noticed is that... Um, 
And sometimes people are a little fuzzy about the discipleship ministry. I mean, there isn't anything visual. It's kind of an invisible ministry. It's happening. People are meeting together and, and at various levels. Uh, discipleship is taking place in a formal way, and in other, in other cases rather informally. But formal discipleship is happening all through this body, but it's invisible. And we thought, you know, it might be better if we had some kind of a visual presence that reminds us that this is here and something to point people to as kind of a beginning part. If you've never been discipled, where do you start and who can help you with that? And so we thought maybe if, if we could find some material that would communicate what we think every child of God needs to master in his Christian life, and give that to people so one person can disciple another or, or two at a time or whatever it works out to be, that would be helpful. It would not only be a set uh, uh, structure for starting a person in the discipleship process, but also give us some visual presence as you see these around the, uh, around the church. And so we looked into several, um, several materials, several different approaches to this, and we decided on one. It's called uh, Partners... Uh, one-on-one discipleship by Mike Fabrez out in uh, California. This is actually my daughter-in-law's pastor, and uh, we've admired his work long before we even knew my daughter-in-law. Um, but this is really good stuff, and it just takes someone who's never been discipled and starts them out at the very beginning, the gospel. This is one of the best gospel presentations I've seen at the beginning of this book. It's excellent. And so you're going to be seeing this all around because people are going to be using it. We're going to have it stacked out here for you to buy. It's pretty cheap compared to the other things at $10 a pop. Um, if you want to disciple someone, or maybe even, let me encourage you to do this. If you know someone who's interested in spiritual things and you're having spiritual conversation with them, you could come to them and say, hey, would you like to sit down at lunch with me once a week or so? And we could talk about these things in a more structured, formal way. And you know what I think we're going to see? We're going to see people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as we're proactive, not to use this, but to use this as a vehicle of communicating the glory of Jesus Christ, the excellencies of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be using this. This is going to be helpful to us. And so when you're thinking about discipleship, don't think, oh, you know, am I going to have to figure out what to do? And the answer is no. We will train you and we'll give you the basic materials you need. And uh, there's more to be said there. But there's also biblical counselor training. And you know we're passionate about this because in our church, biblical counseling is nothing more than intensive discipleship. We're discipling people, not on a broad level, teaching them to pray and read their Bible and walk in the Spirit and live a holy life and all those things. But rather, we're focused on one area that they bring to us. Or maybe it's a, it's a constellation of areas in their life that are just giving them fits in their marriage, in their home, in their personal life, or whatever it is. And we take that person and we bring them in with a couple of trained people who can disciple them on those specific issues with the Word of God. This is psychology-free counseling, and we're passionate about not only doing that, but training people to do that. And it's just part of the discipleship process. And I'm going to run out of time if I don't keep moving. So let's go to number three or C. Uh, we're committed to leadership training, and you can see how this all fits together, right? Church planning, discipleship, leadership training. The reality is we believe God will be pleased for us to plant more churches. And as I said, it's not our, our passion to become a big church. It's our passion simply to be a faithful church that's fulfilling the great imperative of making disciples. And frankly, if, when you boil it down, 
uh, Calvary Bible Church, in our leadership, as we understand it, there are three levels of discipleship that we've identified to help people figure out where they are and what they need to learn and do. And so uh, here are the three. There are beginners, there are growers, and there's leaders. Okay, so beginners is where we start right here. Growers, we're going to find out where, where you need some attention. And leaders, what do we do with the leaders? These, these incredibly gifted people that we have sprinkled all through the Bible how do we continue their discipleship? Well, at least in terms of the men in the church who we want to grow to be spiritual leaders, not only of their homes, but of the church and maybe future churches, we're very intentional about this. A number of years ago, about three and a half years ago, we started what I like to call our Leadership Training Institute. And there's a lot of components to it, and there's about uh, 14 men who've been involved in it. We're just finishing our three-year cycle right now and getting ready to start it up again. But our goal is to train men. And so as we were thinking about how to move the church forward, we thought about hiring people, but not just anybody. We wanted to hire some interns that we could bring in, perhaps even some guys from our body, which is how we started. We took young men from this church body who were saying, I want to go into ministry. Can you help me prepare before I go off to college? And we said, yeah, we don't know how to do that, but let's figure it out. And so we did, and we brought on some two young guys. One of them was John McKinsey. And every time summer comes around or... Uh, Christmas comes around, and he gets to come home from college. He's one of our interns. Uh, Calvin Kirk, my son, is another intern. James Dunphy. Where are you, James? He's here somewhere, probably working, usually sitting right up here with me. He's here because we brought him from California uh, to be one of our interns, and he loves it here. And we're training him. We're teaching him how to teach, and we're giving him opportunity, and he's learning what his giftedness is, and, and he's loving it so much, he's going to become a member and just stay here in Texas. Of course, everybody needs to do that eventually, but, <laughs> but here he is. And so we want to do that more, and we want to train men, and, and God, we believe, is going to use one of these men to plant the next, next church six, eight years from now, and that'd be fantastic. Leadership training. And let's move on. Um, and we're committed not only to these other things, but we're committed to biblical community. Biblical community. Now, I confess to you, as the church has grown, this has become hard. Community has become a hard thing. And, and honestly, we have heard from some of you, a number of you, who are saying, oh, come on, you know, what's the decision? What's, what's going on with community groups? What about the flock meetings? What's happening there? And granted, we have not been as clear as we should have been on that, and here's why. Going into this transition, we've been very apprehensive to lay things down in concrete about the future until we knew the big picture where God was leading. And so if there's, if there's a reason why communication has not been so good, it's because our fallible dependent plan was pretty heavy on the fallible for a while there. But we're getting clarity. We're getting more clarity as we view where God is leading us and pray about this direction. My concern for this church body, as we plant a church, my concern is this church body. Those of you who will be left behind, right, with me, <laughs> that's weird, isn't it? Um, those of you who are going to be left behind, the mother church, here's my concern. On June 7th, when that group of people is no longer here, I don't want you on Saturday night going, I don't want to go to church tomorrow. All those people are going to be gone. And it's going to be a bummer. I don't want anybody saying that. And so for, I think, the past year I've been praying, God, give us wisdom. 
help us to, to approach this in such a way that not only will it not be a downer for people, but this will be something they look forward to. That's a tall order, isn't it? So let me tell you what we're doing. Chapping and clapping and cheering is appropriate at this part of the sermon. Okay, so number one, how are we going to reestablish community and make it better than it's been? Number one, you ready? This summer, starting in June, June 7th, one service. We're going back to one service. And everybody's got ideas on what that should look like. And we welcome your ideas. Keep them coming. Uh, but we're going to have to work out, you know, times and, and all of that structure. And, um, and we're going to do that with you. So please, you know, feel free to come and share and, and send us emails and just be respectful and nice. Um, number two, so many of you and so many visitors have come and said, do you have small groups? And we've said, well, sure, we have women's groups and we have men's groups. Yeah, but couples groups. No, no, haven't, haven't. Um, and obviously, uh, frankly, establishing a small group ministry here makes us a little nervous because we've done this before and, and there's inherent difficulties that will have to be overcome. However, we think it's worth diving in and trying again. This is a different body. When we tried it the first time, we were all young families with tons of little kids, and the dynamic was just different. There's still tons of little kids, but we think, we think this is doable. So here's what we're going to do. This summer, when a lot of the other things have just kind of shut down for a few months, we're going to use that time to pilot a small group ministry, and it will be based geographically according to your elder, according to your flock. More to come on that, lots of work to do to get ready for that. But there will be small groups starting this summer as a pilot to see whether or not God would have us do that beyond then. We want to get couples together and families together and uh, to fellowship together. And, and, and we've got a really good plan for that. And, and I, I don't have time to spill the beans on all of that. But small groups this summer. And then sprinkled throughout all of that, periodic all-church fellowships, periodically um, uh, um, flock fellowships, where the whole, even if you're not a part of a small group, you're going to be asked to come and fellowship either here or at a park or somewhere else and just be there to get to know each other and get in each other's lives and to grow and help each other become more like Christ. So, how's that? Doing okay so far? Let's keep going. We're committed to biblical shepherding. We've always been committed to biblical shepherding. It's just every church that I know of is the elders have struggled to know how to minister to everybody. And, and we have too. And when I was in the process this year of training the new elders. And this summer, we were reading books. I had them on a rapid reading schedule of, uh, of great books on eldership. And one of them I had never read before. And it really challenged us. Because we have told you repeatedly that the elder's job is to feed, lead, and protect the flock. And Tim Whitmer comes along with his little book and says, yes, all of that's true. But you must know the flock if you're going to feed, lead, and protect. And we were very convicted by that. Not that we don't know you guys, it's just that we don't know all of you. We don't know what your needs are. And some people just, they come to church and they leave. They come to church and they leave. And, and for whatever reason, they haven't plugged in. And you know what? If they're a part of the flock, then there are responsibilities. If you're a part of this flock, then, then your shepherd should know who you are and know how to pray for you at the very least and meet your needs as they can. And so this is... There's a lot of technical things going on behind the scenes to help us get there, and we're still crafting that. 
but we've gotten a lot of help about that this year. And so um, all of that to say is um, when, when the new church launch, launches and the transition takes place, one of the commitments of the elders is we are going to do a better job at finding out what your needs are. And we are structuring in a very specific way to help us do that. And the end result of that will be you'll be receiving periodic phone calls, either from your elder or somebody who's helping him to find out how we can pray for you and what needs you have. And do you need to speak with somebody? And whatever it is, we, we want to be faithful, more faithful in shepherding than we have been in the past. Uh, community outreach, we could say more here, but uh, you just need to know there is going to be a VBS this summer. We don't do that every year, uh, but we have the leadership for that, and, uh, and they're going to need help with that. And finally, world missions. Uh, we've always been committed to this. We love sending missionaries. We love taking trips that inspire people to go, and so we're going to do that. We're also planning on a missions conference. We don't have that settled as a date yet. I'm in the process now of contacting our missionaries and saying, when can you come? When can you be here to help us cast the vision for world missions here at Calvary Bible Church? Uh, Matt Scheffler told us that uh, if we pulled a, gr a group together, he would lead it to Uganda. Now, how many of you have been to SOS Ministries in Uganda? Good, quite a few of you, quite a few in the early service too. We love this ministry. We spend a lot of money ministering to them, and God is doing extraordinary things in that little village in Uganda, and so we're sending a team back. We also have a brand new couple that we're, uh, we are uh, financially supporting, and they've been friend of, uh, a friend of Chris and I since uh, we were in college, even before we were married. In fact, uh, this brother married us. He flew to Kansas and married us, and um, they live in Japan, and God, by his grace, has used them to do something virtually unheard of. They were able to plant a church in Japan, an independent church, and it took them 27 years. And now it's a freestanding church, an independent church. It's, I mean, independent of them. They have, um, they have a pastor who's a Japanese man. Uh, they're ministering to the deaf. They're ministering to everybody, but they went there primarily to minister to the deaf and ended up planning a church. And so when they passed through last time, they gave a little presentation, and all of you who saw it were, were kind of dazzled. He couldn't believe, none of us could believe the things that, that God empowered them to do. And uh, so we had them at our house, obviously, that night, and we were asking them, so what are you going to do next? And, and they said, well, um, you know, they're, they're in their late 50s, I guess, coming up on 60, and they said, well, we're going to do it again. Uh, we're going back to Japan. We're going to check in with the home church, and then we're going to go to another city. We don't even know what city, but we're going to plop down in some city. There's lots of people who need the Lord in all of the cities of Japan, and so we're going to plop down in one of those cities and start planning a church all over again. And I said, could you use some help? And they said, yes, come. And I said, okay, when? Summer? They said, listen, we're going to limit it to uh, spring, summer, or winter, fall, and Christmas. <laughs> you can come any of those times. We'll put you to work. And there's so much to do there. And, and so we're going to uh, uh, be working with them, trying to, to find a time that would be best for us to send a team of you and maybe me or my wife to uh, Japan to help the petites. Ironically, they are not petite. She is uh, probably a little taller than me, um, but certainly some of the godliest people we've ever known. And so that's kind of casting vision here. What about 
uh, what Calvary needs to fulfill this mission. We looked at the Great Commission. We looked at how we're, we're going to pursue this. And then finally, what do we need? You know what we need? First of all, and this is by order of priority, we need devotion to prayer. Um, we especially need prayer about finding a facility to lease for um, the Bible church, the new uh, church plant. And so um, would you be faithful to pray for them? We're going to have some prayer events coming up uh, during Sunday school that, uh, that you should be a part of. Don't skip out of Sunday school because it's prayer. You should plan on being there especially because it's prayer because we need to be pleading with the Lord on this and asking him to protect us. You know, this is exciting and it's wonderful, but there are temptations here and the enemy is not happy. He will not love us for planting a biblical church. And so we need to be praying not only for all the other things, but for protection as well. And so, uh, you know, we're not giving verbal announcements much anymore, so please be checking your bulletin for these things and the Internet and email and Facebook. We got it in a lot of different places. Just uh, be vigilant to look. Um, secondly, this is what we need. We not only need prayer, we need a replacement for Brent. Now, I mean, let's be real. Uh, we can't replace Brent. Um, Frank said a couple weeks ago, how in the world? I mean, what we're going to end up doing is trading out Tigger for Winnie the Pooh <laughs> somehow. No matter who the other person is, they're just never going to have the energy that Brent has. And, um, and so we need to replace him. And for the past uh, three or four years, really, I think this, this, this started uh, me talking to men about the possibility of, of one of them coming. And, I, and it really started with a couple of men out at Masters College asking me if we had a position. And I thought, wow, somehow our church has gotten attractive, become attractive to some really quality guys. And they were disappointed when it didn't work out. And uh, the timing was just not good. I mean, it was two years, three years out before we could hire someone. And so some of those conversations were just over a coffee or a lunch, and they amounted to nothing because, uh, you know, maybe it seemed uh, like a biblical plan to them, but it wasn't what God was calling them to do in ministry. And I get that. That's wonderful that God's going to use them in, in various ways. There are a couple of men that uh, talked to us about the position. One of them we spoke to extensively over the last couple of years, and, uh, and it, just, it just seemed like it wasn't the best fit. And so uh, that didn't work out. But right now we have a young man. I'm happy to tell you, whom we are talking to. In fact, he was here um, a week ago. Was it a week ago or two weeks ago uh, for an interview? Uh, he came here before Christmas, him and his family. They visited, and we introduced them to a lot of you. But, uh, of course, uh, we're trying to keep that on the down low. They were just visiting their family for Christmas here in Texas, and uh, we asked them to stop by and check out the church because he had sent me his resume. And uh, we just really just fell in love with this young couple, just deep, godly people, young, knows the word. We, we spent two hours grilling him on doctrine, and, uh, and he just flew through it, didn't he, Joe? Uh, it was just amazing to hear the depth of insight already from this young guy. I caught all of his references. His uh, former pastor down in College Station said, just tell your people if they have a daughter uh, that they want to have a godly model b other than their own mother, just tell them, you become like Katie, and you will be godly. And that's this young man's wife. And um, we have not made him an offer, and uh, we are praying about that and moving forward with that. We were talking about it early this morning. And so please be in prayer. Uh, it looks like if, if um, 
if he is convinced that this would be a good fit for him, we are convinced that it would be a good fit for us. And so please be in prayer about that. I'd love to tell you more, but um, let's keep moving here. Here's another thing that we need. Sacrificial service. All hands on deck. Because we're going to be losing some people in key positions. And you know what? That's going to be really good for us. It's good for us. It's good for a church to experience the kind of transition that sends certain key leaders away to do something else so that new leadership can come on. Not that there was anything wrong with the former leadership. To the contrary, it's because they were great that we're sending them on to do another ministry so that we can raise up new leaders. And every time a leadership position is, is changed out, something about the church is going to change just a little for our good. It's going to refresh us just a little bit in that area. And this is good for us. And there are probably 20 other reasons why sending these people out is going to be good for us. But what we need is all hands on deck, which means some of you who've been here for a while and you've been thinking, gee, I, I, you know, I'm really not doing anything. It looks like all the positions are full. Uh, just stop thinking that way because there's going to be much to do. And for goodness sake, if you're thinking right now, that you're thinking about resigning from your particular ministry, stop that. It's not God's will for your life, he told me. <laughs> not really. <laughs> not really. But uh, we really want to encourage you. Listen, if someone comes to you and says, we have a leadership position available and we'd like for you to consider filling it, know this, that didn't happen on the fly. Significant discussion went into making that call to ask you to do that. So what we would ask is that you put significant time and effort into praying and seeking God's face on that before you ever contemplate saying no, because we need you. This church needs you. And there are, other gonna, there are gonna be other key positions that we need filled, and they might not be uh, leadership positions, but important nonetheless. We're gonna need children's workers, and we're gonna need organizers and, and leaders of every ilk. So. Uh, please be thinking about that. What, I, I told a story in the first service, and I hope I didn't embarrass we, uh, Les with this. Um, but Les would tell you, if he were going to take the comfortable route, okay, Les is going to be the, the elder who goes with Brent to the church plant in Mansfield. And he would tell you, if you asked him, um, if we were going to do what was comfortable for us, we would stay. But it's not about my comfort. It's about this. It's about doing what God wants us to do. And we're convinced that God is planning a church in Mansfield. And God has called me to be a part of that. And so they're making a great sacrifice. And not just them, but everybody who's going. They would all tell you the same thing. Can we not, those of us who are here, also sacrifice in order to keep this church healthy? when they go. It's not guilt trip time. This is just reality. If we're going to be a healthy church, we need you. We need you. If you're a member of this church, you should be doing something to help us be a stable, healthy, and growing church. Uh, another thing that we need, we're talking about needs, uh, financial stewardship. We all just need to be faithful in this. Yes, God has blessed us financially. He always has since I've been here. Um, and it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with God's grace. And we don't make many, uh, except for when we were doing the building and we were trying to do it debt-free, and by God's grace, we did that. But other than that, we, we talk about money very little. But I'm, I just want to say, financial stewardship is a big deal. 
and it will be in the future. Uh, how we're going to afford supporting the church plant and hiring a new staff member, financial stewardship is a, is a big deal. And I don't know about you, but when I look at this stuff, and I, and I know more than this, and I look at all, at all of it, this excites me. You know what? I've been here for 20 years in Calvary Bible Church, and uh, I think I've been excited since the day I came. And every year, I, I look at what's coming, what it seems like the Lord's going to do next, and I think, bring it. I love this. The next thing, I don't know what it's going to be. I know our plan. It's a fallible, dependent plan. God's plan's always more exciting. It's always more fruitful. It's always better. And it'll look something like what we plan. I just can't wait to see what he does. I just can't wait to see what he does. I love being in this church. I don't want to be anywhere else. I don't want to do anything else. I want to be here. I want to be here with you. And I want to see God do powerful things through us. We are absolutely unfit and unworthy. And somehow, he chooses to use us anyway. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. So these are exciting times. Beloved, making disciples, planning churches, this is just God's way of proclaiming the excellencies of Christ to the world. So let's be faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we need your grace to do all of these things. We need you to empower us by the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. We can't do anything without him. He is the most important person in this whole endeavor. And so, Father, I pray that you would lead us. You'd lead us by your word. Lead us by our holy affections. And lead us by your providence. We just want to be faithful to you in this. We know that it's going to be hard. And yet with the difficulty will, become, will come joy. So we praise you, Father. Thank you for choosing the likes of us to do these things. We are unworthy, and Christ is our sufficient and worthy Savior. So we praise you for it all. In, in his name, Jesus Christ.